I cannot even begin to tell you how grateful, how humbled, how encouraged, how overjoyed I was with what happened with this congregation yesterday. 44 members showed up. 44 people showed up. In the final count, as best we have it, approximately 600 doors were knocked. 600 yesterday. And approximately 220 conversations went on. 220 actual interactions. A lot of people weren't home, some people didn't answer the door. But of the 600 doors knocked, 220 congregations, uh, 220 conversations approximately. You know how exciting that is? That is thrilling. One of the things that I love most about this congregation is your love for the Lord and your willingness, your dedication to show up and serve the Lord. Now, I know a lot of you live very, very busy lives. I understand that. I know that all of you have other responsibilities. But I must say that you remind me of the church, Macedonian churches, that the Apostle Paul mentioned in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5. Theirs was a poverty of money. But for a lot of you, there is a poverty or lack when it comes to time. There's so many things going on in your lives, but still so many of you came redeeming or making the most of the time for the days are evil, Ephesians 5, 16. Those of you that came remind me of the members of the Macedonian churches. Yesterday you came and sacrificed your time. You came to do what you were saved to do. And that is to reach out to the lost specifically here in Shoto. I'd like to just take a moment and to appropriate and adapt the words of the Apostle Paul from 2 Corinthians 8, 3 through 5. I'd like to just appropriate them and adapt them to the love and the faith and the courage and the dedication of those of you who came to spread the seed of the word of God yesterday and to try to set up Bible studies with folks in this community. My rendering for your sake this morning for I bear witness that according to your ability, yes, and beyond your ability, you were freely willing to give up the gift of your time in the fellowship of ministering to the lost. And not only as we had hoped, but because you had first given yourselves to the Lord, you gave yourselves fully to this work. I don't think even some of you who came expected that many. In fact, I know you didn't. And I want you to make no mistake this morning, if you were one of those who came, or you were one of those who prayed, or supported this work in any way, I want you to know this morning, just as it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6 and verse 10, God is not so unjust as to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name. Having said that, to those of you who took part in that yesterday, in any way, shape, or form, very grateful for our visitors this morning. We're grateful that you have taken the time to be here. Taken the time to walk into a church building where maybe you didn't know a whole lot of folks and we are so, so very grateful for your being here. Speaking of yesterday, and I appreciated what Kirk had to say about the bulletin article and I do hope that everybody gets a chance to read that. 
for today's bulletin article as well as this morning's sermon were both put together with the hope and the idea in mind that we might possibly have a few visitors from the community. Those who maybe perhaps decided to come and see for themselves what we're all about and why we do some of the things that we do. And with that in mind, the title of this morning's lesson is, Why Come to Church? Why Come to Church? Now, I'll tell you before I get started that I do not like that phrase, why come to church? I don't come to church. Church is a noun. Church is a noun. I don't come to sit and not take action. Church is not an action word. I do not come to church. I come to be with the church because the church is the people. I come with the church, but I come to do something. I come to take action. I come to do something, a verb. Church is not a verb. You can't go out in church. Not really. It's a noun. I came to do some things with the church. I don't come to church. I come to worship. Worship is a verb. I come to sing. Sing is a verb. I come to give, I come to minister, I come to encourage, I come to listen, I come to participate. That's the idea. I didn't come this morning to just sit here. And when I wasn't a preacher and I was sitting in the pews, I still didn't just come to church. I came to take action. I came to be an active member. I came to, to worship and sing and pray and listen and encourage and all of those things. However, because we understand that most folks don't differentiate that term, especially those who don't come to worship, for the purposes of this lesson this morning, I will use the phrase, come to church. I've already told you why I don't particularly think that's appropriate. But I will use the term, come to church, the same way that most folks do to encompass all of those things which we do actually come to do. Hence again, back to our title. Why come to church? Especially in light of today's philosophy, such as Karen and I encountered while we were on vacation. There was a lady that Karen had a conversation with while we were on vacation. They got to talking about things, and she said, mentioned religion, and she said something to the effect. She said, well, I don't have to go to church to worship God. I, you know, I don't have to go to church to worship God. Was she right? Some might be willing to take her word for it. But here's the thing. Those that truly just want to be right with Jesus, just truly love the Lord, and they want to get it right with Jesus, will always check what anybody says, even if the preacher says it, against what Jesus said. And they'll always take Jesus' word for it. So let's look at what Jesus said relative to her comment. Please open your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Because I don't think Jesus agrees with her words at all, but I want you to check it out for yourself in your own Bible. Please don't take my word for anything. Please take God's word. Please open your Bibles up. I'm just a man. I make mistakes. God never makes mistakes. Open your Bible up and see if what I'm telling you he said is exactly what he said. Acts, chapter 2. 
The first reason that I would like for us to explore this morning as to why those who are truly seeking the Lord and truly love the Lord will consistently come to church is because of the example that we see in Scripture. The example that we see in Scripture that the first century church of our Lord Jesus Christ was always together. In fact, they were completely committed and totally devoted or dedicated to being together all of the time. Acts 2, beginning at verse 36. Peter has just preached the first gospel sermon. He winds up his sermon, as we'll wind this one up later this morning with an invitation, sort of. He says in verse 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And they heard this, when they heard they had sinned, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what do we do? They knew they were wrong with the Lord. They knew they had sinned. They had to get right. Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said, here's what you've got to do. If you know you've sinned, you know you're not right with God, here's what you've got to do. For the promise, this promise of forgiveness, verse 39, is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. This promise is for everybody. And with many other words, verse, verse 40, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. You've got to get your sins cleansed. He says, you need to be saved. So what did those people who heard that message do? Then those, verse 41, who gladly received his word were baptized. They believed him. They believed that's what they had to do to have their sins washed away because that's what Peter said. Peter was an apostle of God. Everything he said was what God wanted him to say. Those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. That was the beginning of the church. Now, what did they do after that? This is critical to our lesson this morning, why come to church? What did they do after they became members of the church? Well, it tells us in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in four things. They were totally dedicated to four things. They were completely committed to four things. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Doctrine means teaching. And fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Those were the four things that the first century church was committed to. And one of those four things that they were completely committed to was fellowship, which means a common unity or being together. They were committed to being together. In fact, did you know that the Bible bears out that for those who are truly walking in the light of God's word, that constant fellowship with one another will always be a priority as well as a reality. 1 John 1 and verse 7. But as we continue here in Acts 2, notice verses 44 and 5. All who believed, guess what? They were together. They had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, and divided them all as anyone had need. They were always together. 
These next two texts I'm just going to mention to you, they're right along the same lines. I'm not going to turn there, but if we were to read a little further in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31, we would see their commitment to praying together, not just praying individually, praying together, coming together and praying as a unit. We would see them as an assembled group, just like we read that they were committed to it in verse 42. One of those four things they were committed to was prayer, and we see that as we read on in Acts. We would also notice the mighty way that God responded when they prayed together, when they came together, and they prayed in Acts 12, 5 through 12. So why come to church? Why come to do all those things? Well, because that is exactly the example that we see in the Bible, that's why. This is God's word. We take God at his word for everything he said. And the example he wanted us to see was that the church was always together. They did these things together. They prayed together. They fellowshiped together. They ate together. They did these things. And folks, they came together not only to pray, but for those other three things as well, one of which was the breaking of bread or the taking of communion on the first day of each week. That is the biblical example. You know, we just want to be right with God, right? That's, that's, that's it. We just want to do things God's way. So you may have noticed, if you're a visitor amongst us, that we took communion today. Why do we do that? We do that every first day of the week. Why do we do it that way? We don't do it that way because the elders decided that would be something they'd prefer. We don't do it that way because the preacher likes it that way. We don't do it that way because the congregation took a vote. We do it that way for one reason. We come together to break bread on the first day of the week because that's what the Bible shows us God wants. Turn with me in your Bibles, in fact, to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Why come to church? Because you can't stay home and come together to do what God said. In Acts chapter 20, look what it says. Verse 6. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Why did you stay in Troas for seven days? What's the point of sitting there for seven days? Very next verse tells you why. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. Notice several things from this passage. Notice again, why come to church? Why come be part of the group? Because the first century church came together. That's what that verse says. They came together for a very specific purpose. They came together to break bread. They came together to take communion. You can't stay home and take communion together, can you? Can you stay home by yourself and take communion together? No, you can't. They came together to take communion on the first day of the week. Now, some people say, well, which first day of the week? Once a year, once a month? Well, this is really easy to understand. Today is the first day of the week, right? So we came together to break bread, right? 
Will next week have a first day of the week? Did last week have a first day of the week? Did two weeks ago have a first day of the week? Sure. And all it tells us is on the first day of the week. So if we're going to go by the scripture and just do it the way that we believe, that we can see that God said, we're going to do it on the first day of the week. So we did it this week, and if we're alive next week, then we'll come together on the first day of the week and break bread. That's why we do it. In fact, if you look with me in 1 Corinthians 11, we'll see again why we come to church, why you can't stay home and do what the Bible commands, what Jesus wants. 1 Corinthians Chapter 11, notice the word together in all of these, how they came together to do these things. You can't come together to do that by staying home by yourself. 1 Corinthians 11, beginning at verse 17, Paul says, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. Since you come together, there we are again, not for the better, but for the worse. First of all, when you come together, that's the second time we've seen that phrase in two verses, as a church, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together, third time we've seen it, in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Now, the problem here is, is that the church in Corinth wasn't taking the Lord's Supper right. They weren't doing it according to God's instruction the way that they should have been. They weren't doing it in the spirit of love. They had some problems. And Paul is addressing those problems. But what I want you to see from the text is not that. That's not our specific point this morning. Our specific point this morning is, even though they were doing it wrong, the church was still to come together to do it. And Paul makes that very clear. When you come together to do this, and folks, we cannot come together if we ain't here. That's why we come to church. They came together to do this. So Paul goes down through in verses 21 through 32, tries to straighten them out as to why they're doing it wrong. Look what he says as he closes the chapter in verses 33 and 4. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, and so on and so forth. Why come to church? Because of the example we see of the church coming together in the Bible. That the first century church of our Lord Jesus came together and assembled on Sunday, continuing steadfastly in those four things to learn the apostles' doctrine for the breaking of bread, fellowship, and the prayers. We see that that was what they came together to do. But the second, reason. Okay, they did it. Okay, good example. Yes. Biblical example, yes. But why they do it? This is the, the even better question. Why did they do it? I mean, we should do it because of the example, but we should do it for the same reason they set that example. We should do it for the same reason they did it. Talking about the coming together for those four reasons. You know, the reason why faithful and God-fearing Christians can't help but come together all the time or come to church is for the same reason, and that's this. Hear me, hear me with your hearts if this comes out wrong. I hope it doesn't. But the reason we need to do it, the reason they did it, the reason we come to church is because the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we love, so much for what he has done for us, 
knew that the church and what it was designed to give to us was so important to our making it to heaven that he himself commanded us not to miss it. Did you hear me? Because Jesus, whom we love so much, he knew how hard life was going to be. He knew how much Satan was going to tempt us. He knew about the sin that we were going to have to struggle with. He knew about the death and the hardships and all of those things. And he knew how those could derail us, how Satan could pull us away. And in his great love for us, he knew what the church was designed to give us. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. The church was designed to give us something. And what the church was designed to give us is the reason he commanded us not to miss it. Don't miss it. It's like if you've got some deadly disease and, and somebody says, this doctor can cure it and you, you need to go see him. Don't avoid going to see the doctor. He can fix what ails you. He can fix what's killing you. Don't fail to go. Jesus knew the church was going to give us just what we'd need if we were going to make it to heaven because Satan is so powerful we can't make it alone. And so Jesus hence commanded us, Jesus himself commanded us not to forsake the assembly because of the power it would give us. I recently heard of a man, heard from one of you, and that man said something like this. The Lord's not going to ask us on Judgment Day if we went to every service or if we went to church. He's just going to ask us if we love the Lord. You know what the problem with that reasoning is? Because the Lord said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And one of his commandments is don't forsake the assembly. That's the problem with that. We can't say, well, the Lord's not going to ask us if we went to church or not, he's going to ask us if we loved and served Jesus. To love and serve Jesus is to keep Jesus' commandments. And one of Jesus' commandments is don't forsake the church. Let's look at this in Scripture. Don't take my word for it. Don't take my word for anything. Let's take a look. John chapter 14. Let's take this apart piece by piece. John 14. Gospel according to John. 14th chapter, verse 15. We probably, most of us can quote it, but please turn there anyway. Humor me. John 14, verse 15, because we're going to spend a little bit of time here in John. Jesus said in John 14, 15, these are his words, not mine. You can read them in your own Bible. If you love me, keep my commandments. This is the same Apostle John who would later write by divine inspiration in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. John would write that, we, we find that book later on in the Bible, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. This is the same John that's writing this. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. Look, if we love him and we know him, we prove it by keeping his commandments. Right here in John 14, if we read a little farther, look what Jesus said about that same thing starting at verse 21. John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and make myself known to him or manifest myself to him. 
Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and will come to him and will make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. The words which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Jesus said, you're going to keep my commandments. A little later that same evening, look what he says in John 16, starting at verse 12. Not only in John 15 does he say they're going to keep my commandments if they love me, but in John 16, verses 12 through 14, he says this. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he'll tell you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Notice that Jesus said there were some things that he hadn't told his disciples yet. Verses 12 through 14. There some things they weren't ready for. But he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to guide you into all truth. John 15, if you love me, obey me. John 16, haven't told you everything yet that you need to obey. In John 17, Verse 20, speaking of his apostles, he said, I do not pray for these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word. Okay. If you love me, you'll obey me. But you don't know everything you've got to obey yet, because I haven't told you everything. John 17, however, if we want to obey everything that Jesus had for his people, then we need to obey what his apostles wrote, because we're to believe in him through them. So, as we think of that, what are some of the things that the apostles wrote down later on, this truth that was to reveal to them later that Jesus wanted people to obey? What were some of those commandments that we are to keep? And can we keep them if we're not here? Well, we know from the example we've already studied about communion, we can't come together and take communion if we don't come together. So we already know that one. Turn to me to another one that is a come together context, Ephesians 5 beginning at verse 15. Why come to church? Because I can't keep this commandment of the Lord if I don't. Ephesians 5, beginning at verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Again, verse 16 means making the most of the time. Verse 17, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Okay, how do I understand what the will of the Lord is? He'll go on to tell you. Verse 18, do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, watch this, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. How can I speak to you in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and keep that commandment if you're not here. Why come to church? Because we are commanded to sing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And if we're not here, we can't do that. We cannot encourage others by doing that, nor can we be encouraged ourselves. Turn to me to Colossians, and we will see why else we come to church. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians 3, very similar. Look what he tells us to do. Colossians 3.14, 
But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I can't keep that command that Jesus gave his apostles through the Holy Spirit to have written down for me, I can't keep that command and prove my love for him if I don't come to church to do it. I can't do it if I'm not here to do it. And I want to prove my love to Jesus, so I want to keep his command. And his command is that I am to teach and admonish one another my brethren in hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in my heart. You know, some people, when they come to our assemblies, they think, is this church too poor to afford an organ? No, we're not too poor to afford an organ. But we are too rich in God's word to afford an organ. We want to please God. And this was written to the whole church. And God said that we're to sing to one another. Eric, are you to sing to me? Sure. Are, are you all to sing to one another? Is that what the text says? Well, if we have an organ, you can't hear that. We only have a selected few singers. That's not the whole church. The, the whole church is to sing to one another. Jason, are you to sing to, to, to anybody on this side? Sure. We're to sing to one another. And so we do that because the Lord said to do it, but I come to church to do that because if I'm not here, I can't do it, and it's the command of the Lord. You know, The Lord knew in his infinite wisdom that without the love and the peace and the comfort and the encouragement and the reminders and the teaching and the strengthening and the communing that we can only get when we come together. The Lord knew that if we didn't come together and get that, the encouragement and the strength that we get by being here from one another and from the word of God, Jesus knew that if we didn't come and get that, that Satan would prove way too much for most of us and that we were not going to have the power or the perseverance or the comfort to make it all the way to heaven up the straight and narrow. Life gets hard sometimes, doesn't it? We need the power that we find by being together in worship of God and the reminders that we have. That's what keeps us strong. And Christ knew that. That's why he said, don't forsake the assembly. It's a part of his love in wanting us to have everything we need to stay at it and to persevere no matter how hard life gets. That's why he said, don't leave the church. Look how strongly our Lord in his great love for us and all he did for us. He didn't want us to be saved just to lose us. And in his great love for us, look at how strongly he commanded, because he knew what we needed. How strongly he commanded that we not forsake the assembly. Hebrews chapter 10, please. This is what the Holy Spirit directed the writer of Hebrews to write to a group of Christians that were on the verge of giving up. They were on the verge, life was overtaking them. Life was getting hard, they were on the verge of giving up. It was, they'd lost so much, it had cost them so much, and, and they, were, they were teetering right on the edge. They were ready to give up. And so the Holy Spirit had this written to them. Hebrews 10, starting at verse 19, if you would please follow along, says, therefore, brethren, 
having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Notice, draw near, not draw back. Draw near. Not draw back like they did in verse 39. Continuing verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled from an evil conscience with our bodies and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast, hold fast, not hold out, hold fast, not hold back, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. How do we do that? Let us, verse 24, consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Let us consider one, us, one another, not ourselves in the matter. Listen, when we decide, you know what, I'm just not coming to church anymore. Putting ourselves for everybody else. Let me ask you a question. Are you encouraged when the church house is full? Are you encouraged that there are other Christians here that are singing, that are excited, that are sharing their faith? Wouldn't it be awesome if we had to have chairs down the side of the building? Wouldn't that be great? Are you encouraged when you've got 200 Christians singing out? Sure you are. We come to encourage one another, and when somebody says, I, I'm not going to come to church, they're putting themselves ahead of everybody else. What did Jesus say in Philippians? What does it say in Philippians 2 about Jesus putting others above ourselves? That's why Hebrews 10 here says, consider one another instead of yourself. Let us consider one another, Hebrews 10, 24, in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Why is it so important that God's people continually come to church and not forsake the assembly? The key is in the phrase, as you see the day approaching. World's gonna get worse, tells us that in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 17. And for these people in their lives, it had gotten worse since their conversion. And as life gets worse and it gets harder, we could read on in the rest of the chapter here and see how in the beginning it wasn't that bad, but it's gotten worse. And as life gets worse and life gets harder, especially some of us get older and we struggle with loneliness and we struggle with, with physical ailments and we struggle with losses, we're going to need the love and the encouragement that we find in one another, the strengthening we find in God's word, the, the power as we gather on the first day of the week to, to do this in remembrance of him. As life gets harder, we're going to need the love and the encouragement and the fellowship and the strengthening that we can only get, that we can only get by coming to worship and pray and study and commune and be together in our Father's house with our spiritual brothers and sisters. That's why he said, don't forsake the assembly. God wasn't trying to mess up your timetable. But there's an even more serious reason why we keep coming to church, if at all physically possible. There's a real strong reason in the following verses, one that Satan has apparently blinded some people to seeing. Look in the following verses. Verse 26 is tied right to that. After Jesus said, don't forsake the assembly, through the Holy Spirit to the Hebrew writer in verse 25, not forsaking the assembly. If we don't keep that commandment, if we decide to continually 
disobey that commandment. Look what it says in verse 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which will consume the adversaries. Person who does not consider that the assembly of the Lord's church is important or essential enough for them to attend is actually casting behind their backs the very institute which God had planned before time began, the very spiritual house in which he would place all of the saved. Is the church important to God? Jesus died for the church. When somebody says it ain't worth my time, it was worth his son to him. A person who doesn't consider the church of our Lord Jesus Christ as important or essential enough for them to faithfully and consistently attend and work and worship with is actually taking the church for which Jesus died and the blood he shed as a common, mundane, pointless, and worthless thing. That's what it says in the following verses. Read on with me. Anyone, verse 28, who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord, and again the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing. Fall into the hands of the living God. Listen, Jesus came and he died to establish his church, his group of saved people. That's what he came for. That's why he died on the cross, to forgive people and put them into this group of saved people. And all that planning and all that preparation and all that bleeding and everything that cost God, everything that cost Jesus Christ, all of it, when we say that the very entity which he did that for isn't worth our time, do you want to stand before God and tell him that? I don't. Well, I know it's important to you, God. No, 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 it should be important to us. And so that's why we come to church. That's why we make it a priority, because we love him. And because we trust him to know what is best for us. We know that we need this if we're going to make it to heaven, because if we don't come and be with our brethren for all the strengthening we get in the word and the communion, and, and if we don't, we're not going to have the power to make it. Look at what happened to these people. Look at verse 32. Recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with suffering, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. You had compassion on me and my chains. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. You know you have need of endurance, so that after you've done the will of God, you will receive the promise. Yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, and if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Life was getting hard. They'd lost everything, and they're about ready to say, you know what, this just ain't worth it. I'm going to give up going to church. I'm going to stop. I'm going to forsake the assembly. What God considered so special doesn't mean anything to me, and I'm just done. That's who it was written to. And brethren... Those are the reasons that we come to church. Jesus thought it was important enough that he commanded me not to forsake the assembly. He knew I needed what the church has to offer.
and I prove my love to him by continually coming. There's so many other reasons, but for now this morning, I want you to consider this. The passage we started out with was Acts chapter 2, and this was the day the church was established. We don't see the church in existence in Scripture prior to this, the Lord's church. And that day, after they heard a sermon and they realized that they had become sinners, they realized that they had sinned greatly against God, after Peter preached that sermon and he said, Jesus was the Son of God and you sinned by putting him to death, those people decided that they needed to be right with God. They understood they had sinned. So what are we going to do? We can't fix this mess is the implication. We can't, we can't fix it. We've done it. We've sinned. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Peter said, I'll tell you what you need to do. You need to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. For the forgiveness. Can you imagine how good that must have sounded to those people who realized they'd sinned in the sight of God? He said, you need to be baptized for the forgiveness. God's got a plan in place. God's willing to take care of this for you if you'll let him. Isn't that awesome? For the forgiveness of your sins, you shall receive the gift of the promise, the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, your children, all who are far off. It's for everyone. He kept preaching to them, said, be saved. And so then those who received his word decided, you know what? I need my sins washed away. Listen, if you're here this morning and you understand that you have sinned, if you have done anything in your life that God does not approve of, if you have sinned, can't get into heaven with even one sin. Moses couldn't get into the promised land with one sin. Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden for one sin. Listen, if you understand you've done some things in your life that God didn't approve of, Jesus died to cleanse it, but you've got to accept the gift. You've got to be willing to say, you know what? I will repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of my sins. And they did. And when they did that, God added them to the church. That church devoted itself to four things. And they didn't forsake the assembly because that's where the strength was. Listen, if you're here this morning, you've never been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. We'd love to baptize you. Maybe you don't understand what's going on. You need a Bible study. Say, hey, tell me about this stuff because I've never heard this before. We'd love to sit down and study God's word with you. Maybe you are a member of the church who has been baptized into Christ. But you've thought about, you know what? Why bother? You need the prayers of strengthening of the rest of the church to keep coming no matter what because this is where you will find what you need to make it home to heaven. If you have any of those needs this morning, please come to the front as we stand and sing.